Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, this morning we uh, we're going to spend our time together this morning continuing to talk about our Heavenly Father. Uh, pretty appropriate for Father's Day as we are continuing this sermon series called God Is. As a quick recap, in case you've been gone or in case uh, you're visiting today, um, this is our summer series as we're kind of exploring who our God really is. And the first thing that we've explored is the fact that God is knowable. He's not playing hide and seek from us. He's not playing hard to get, which is good to know, because if he played hide and seek, we would never find him. But he's knowable. And, and what we said is if we really believe there's such a thing as God, it just makes sense we'd want to know him. Right? To, to contend for a belief in God but not have a desire to know him more just doesn't make sense. And so we don't just believe there's a God. We believe he's knowable and worth knowing. The other thing we said is that the reason God's knowable is because he chose to be. He chose to reveal the truth of himself in his son, Jesus, as he uh, became flesh and dwelt among us through the work of his Holy Spirit among us. And through the life of God in the word of God, he's revealed. And it's a good thing that he's chosen to give us his revelation because he alone has the authority to fill in the blank. He alone has, has the right to, to decide who he is, and he alone has the capability. We couldn't possibly grasp who he is, and, and the little bit of a grasp that we do have is just because he's chosen to reveal that truth of himself to the world. And the way that this knowable God has revealed the truth of himself is this. He is Trinity. God is Trinity. And, and the idea of the doctrine of Trinity is not some dry, crusty, boring, nerdy topic for theologians to sit around in their ivory towers. I don't know what that phrase means. I've never seen an ivory tower, but apparently that's where snotty people sit and discuss this useless doctrine. I believe that the doctrine of Trinity is as relevant to us as God is relevant and I believe there's nothing in the universe more relevant than the maker of it. And that this idea of Trinity in, in its simplest and yet most complicated definition is we believe there's one God who exists in three persons. We do not believe that there are three gods. We don't believe that God has three personality types. We don't believe that God functions in three different modes. There's three distinct people, but not so separate that we believe in three gods, we believe in one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We started into this one sermon that is lasting three weeks, which is very triune. Last week was kind of the introduction to this. This morning we begin to get into a little bit of the, the meat and potatoes of why the doctrine of Trinity is so meaningful. And, and, and what I hope we'll understand today is the reason that Trinity matters is because we have the gift of salvation available to us. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm really glad that I've been raised from death to life. I'm really glad that God made a way for me to know him and be rescued from myself and my own penalty. I'm really glad I'm saved. Saved from what? Ruin, destruction, 
hell itself. I'm saved this morning. And if you're saved, I think there's nothing better we could do this morning than to reflect on how good that is. But I believe the goodness of our salvation is rooted in the fact that God is Trinity. So last week I told you about this book uh, called uh, Delighting in the Trinity by Dr. Michael Reeves. Uh, Some of you uh, ordered that book that day and and started jumping into it. I think that's awesome. This morning I'm going to say several things that came from a lecture uh, by Dr. Reeves, not as much from from the book, but uh, again going to quote heavily from him. One of the things he said in that lecture that just so stuck with me is he said, we talk a lot about the beauty of the gospel, but not so much about the God whose gospel it is. He's Trinity and it matters. So the word gospel means good news. The goodness of the news is rooted in the goodness of who is delivering, carrying out and making a way for the news to get to us. Who God is, is everything in regards to the gospel. So using this analogy from, from Dr. Reeves, he said, imagine for me that this is the gospel. Our God is like a heavenly school principal. And the heavenly school principal has called us to his office. Some of, some of us have been there. Some of us more recently than others. Because you know there is nothing like the walk from your classroom to the principal's office when you've been called to the principal's office. And if you don't know what that's like, we don't like you. God loves you, but we don't have to. For the rest of us, you know what I'm talking about. With every step, you're like, oh, I'm dead. Because we know we're guilty. The only question is we were called to the principal's office is, What did they find out about? Which thing am I caught for? God, the heavenly high school principal, calls us to the office and sits us down and says, you broke the rules. Here's what you did. And we have no defense. We're guilty. And the heavenly uh, school principal tells us what the consequences are for our rule breaking. And they are disastrous. They are far worse than being expelled or suspended or having our grades affected. And then the unthinkable happens. Our friendly classmate Jesus says, but I'm innocent. I'm willing to take the punishment for the rule breaking. And the principal says, okay, fine. And we walk away from the consequences of our wrongdoing Because our classmate bore it on our behalf. And I would submit to you, that's good news. But because God is Trinity, the actual news is way better than that. That would be enough. That would be worth gathering and singing songs about his amazing grace. But this morning, my heart is overflowing and I can't wait to tell you how much better it is than that because that whole analogy flows from who God is I started that by saying God is like a heavenly school principal but he's not he's a trinity and that changes everything so let's listen to how he describes himself 
Grab your Bibles, if you would, this morning, or your tablet or whatever, your phone you use. And we're going to hold it up in the air and say our creed together before we dive in and let him speak for himself this morning. Say this with me. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. We're, we're, this is our main text for this morning. We're also going to look at Galatians 4. It'll be on the screens. We're also going to look at Mark chapter 14. It'll be on the screens as well. But the, the heart of where we're going to focus this morning to find out who the God of our gospel is and why that makes it such good news is going to be here in Romans chapter number 8. We're going to pick up in verse number 14 that says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Everyone who's experienced rebirth by the Holy Spirit of God are sons of God. Ladies, even you are sons. That's there's plenty of times that the Apostle Paul and the other writers of the scriptures use the generic word for children. This is not one of those times. Sonship matters. Sonship speaks to the goodness of the good news. Now, this is not some misogynistic text that's elevating the role of men. It's actually the exact opposite. If, if we'll put down any defenses, we'll see this is actually the opposite of that. Because what is misogynistic is the culture in which those words were originally written. Those words were written in a moment where women could not have inheritance, could not receive familial wealth passed down to them, could not have ownership of property. There was no such thing as voting, but had there been, they would not have been allowed to vote. And in the midst of that culture that so devalued and marginalized women, God sends through his word this message. You have all received the status of sonship. And here's the deal, ladies. We have to come to, to grasp, uh, grasp with the fact that we're the bride of Christ. And so you got to process that you're sons. And what that's not... Is blurring gender distinctions. Just in case I have to say that. As a matter of fact, this is evidence to why gender matters. When God assigns gender, there's purpose, intentionality, and meaning in it. And here what I would say to every person who's been born again, who's been saved, who's experienced the rebirth of the Holy Spirit of God, you share the status of sons. And the reason that's incredible is that's the name of the second person of the Trinity. God has granted you through the gospel the status of the Son of God. And I don't know how well you know you. But you don't deserve that status. That's the goodness of the good news to all who have received the Spirit of God. We share the title with a lowercase s, not capital S. <laughs> but the audacity, it would sound like heresy if God himself hadn't said it. 
We're sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You did receive that. That's not just what you received in Jesus. You already had a spirit of slavery. You already were under the bondage of fear. This new life, this new birth, this new thing is not a new form of slavery. It's not a new form of fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Whew. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're going to circle back to that in just a second. But I want us to, to read verse 16 in the beginning of 17 just for this complete thought. And I want you to see the, the trinity of this, the, the, the triuneness of this work. The Spirit, I'm going to add some language to this just to make sure we're all on the same page. The Holy Spirit of God Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God the Father. Typically, when we see the generic word in the Scriptures, God, it's a reference to God the Father. We're children of God the Father. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God the Father and fellow heirs with Christ the Son. That is the beauty of a gospel that can only come from the hands and heart of a triune God. So uh, go back with me again to verse number 15, this idea that that through the work of God, we've received a spirit of adoption, not and that would be good enough. That would be praiseworthy enough, but we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. If you're new to church, new to the Bible, or new to this idea, the word Abba might seem like a weird word to you. And it is a weird word. In the whole Bible, it only appears three times. It's a word that doesn't even have a comparison in the English language. Those of you who've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard a pastor say that's kind of like saying daddy. And it's not, but that is the right heart. That's the right intention, if you've ever heard that said. But but it's a word that's more than just like, you're my father, as in, you made me. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of, of deep relationship, of, of, a, of an abiding, intimate connection, which is why you've maybe heard it called daddy. It is the idea of crawling up into the lap of a loving and welcoming father and whispering into his ear, you're my dad. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons who are welcomed into the arms of a loving father. The Apostle Paul would kind of, you know, he's a bit of a stuck button sometimes. He repeats himself a lot because we need to hear it a lot. He says a really similar thought to the church at Galatia. Enough that I think it's worth noticing. It's the only other time he uses the word Abba. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. God the Father sent God the Son. Born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. P.S. The curse of the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Same idea. And then look at the beauty of the Trinity here. Look at the divine dance in verse 6. And because 
you are sons. God, the father has sent God, the spirit of God, the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, father. High school principal, heavenly God can't give you the right to whisper Abba. Only a Trinity God can do that. The beauty of the gospel flows from the beauty of God. And because he is a triune God, we now have the right to call him Abba. And here's why that's such a big deal. The word Abba only appears one other time in scripture. And it it comes from the mouth of Jesus, the son of the living God himself. And it doesn't just come from Jesus. It comes from Jesus in the most pivotal moment in human history. Because where Jesus was when he said the word Abba was in the garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal. Where in the most private, intimate moment with the father that we have recorded in the scriptures, Jesus is sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, grieving, knowing what lies before him, knowing that the sun will rise but will not set again before he is tasted of the wrath for sin. And Jesus, in that most intimate moment, Mark 14, verse 36, he said, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Which I believe what we read in that statement is we could easily come up with a plan B. Remove this cup of suffering and wrath from me yet. Not what I will, but what you will. Let me say this while we're on this verse. Somebody texted me last Sunday and said, so is one person of the Trinity more in charge than the others? It's a great question. And the answer is no, it can't be. If there's not equal authority, there's not equal godness, not equal deity. But what we see throughout the history of humankind, we see moments where the three persons of the Trinity choose to submit their wills to another. That's why they call it the divine dance. In the divine dance, the different persons of the Trinity take the lead at different moments. Don't do that if you're dancing with your spouse. You'll hurt somebody's toes. But because he's God, he can handle taking different. What we see here is Jesus choosing to submit himself to the will of the Father on our behalf. And in that most holy moment, he whispers, Abba. And then goes to the cross so that we can whisper, Abba. How great is that? The work of the cross wasn't just, okay, we won't find you guilty anymore. It was you get to call him the same thing I do in the most intimate moment I've ever had with him. That's the work of the gospel on our behalf. That's what the Trinity God invites us into sonship. That's what that means. The implications of the gospel from a triune God change everything. 
So a few weeks ago, we're at Six Flags uh, with our, our friends, the Wisner family. Me and the older boys are at Six Flags, and the younger guys were at Fort Worth Zoo with Marisa. And there was a moment that happened at Six Flags that I don't think my kids even noticed. I've intentionally not asked them if they noticed because I'm looking forward to lunch today to find out if they even saw this. And I know Danny saw this moment, but we didn't say anything about it because you just don't talk about this. You ever lose one of your kids in a public place? Like when they're little and they just like run away and you're like, I lost a kid. So that did not happen to me with my 17 year old. Don't worry. Um, we've tried. We kept hiding from it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so as I'm standing there, this blur goes before me and it is, it's a mom dragging a child with a look of panic on her face. And as a parent, if you've ever lost a kid, like I knew exactly what was going on. Like you could see it. You're like, oh, I've had that look before. Moment of silence and six flags. And that poor little kid behind her is like. Like she's going to find the other kid and only have the arm of the other kid. um, So she goes flying by and it's like, oh, holy sacred moment. Then she comes bolting back by a little more panicked. Third time coming back looking for a kid. And then I watched that reunion happen. You know the one I'm talking about? Thank God you're alive so I can kill you. (laughs) Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I'm so glad no one hurt you because I'm about to. And, and I watched that whole wave of emotion happen between this mother and child. Oh, there you are. If you leave me again, I'm like, get him, mama. Here's the incredible thing. Here's the incredible thing. That's the heart of a parent who's lost a child. Which means in that great moment in history, that's how passionately the heart of God was pursuing you. Only not with panic, not helpless, because he was at work. But the same grief when we wander from him. And here's the amazing thing. Without a God who's a father... You don't get that. There's no other religion in the world that offers that kind of heart in their God. I've been mesmerized lately by the words of the psalmist. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The answer is nobody. There's none like him. And here's the thing about God the Father and the the necessity of him being eternally a father. And I I hope I can say this in a way that makes sense coming out of my mouth like it does in my head. Because that doesn't always happen. If God was not always a father, then he's not actually a God the Father. 
because God does not change. So it could not be that there was a moment in eternity past that God was going to become a father. For him to be God the Father, he had to always be God the Father, which means the Son has to be as eternal as the Father. Did that make sense? If there ever was a moment, which means, by the way, he's not the Father in the same way that any of the fathers are that we're celebrating on Father's Day. Because the Son didn't come from him in that way. If God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit did not eternally exist, one of them is not God. Which means he's never known a day that he didn't have a father's heart for you. That's the gospel implications of who our God is. And it wouldn't be true if he wasn't Trinity. High school God, principal God. Principal God might could offer forgiveness. But he can't offer closeness. (laughs) Only the triune God invites us into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. If God had not eternally been a father, then the words would not mean so much more. In that garden, as Jesus is praying to the Father in the most intimate of moments... In John's gospel, his recording of that moment, Jesus says to the Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. (laughs) You've never not been on your Father's heart. Isn't that amazing news? That's so much better than just forgiveness of rule breaking. That sonship. Which means... Reminder number eight bazillion, that our salvation is entirely and completely and utterly a work of grace. Not of worth or earning or effort. It is only of his grace and only of his kindness that we are saved. You know why? Because if salvation is adoption, you don't earn your way into a family. Do you know how you get into a family? You are either born into it or you are adopted into it. And in our gospel of grace, he does both for us. We are born again into his family And he adopts us as sons, which I'm pretty sure is probably illegal. You can't actually adopt your own biological child. Sure, it's in the law somewhere, right? But in the gospel of grace, it's exactly what he does. That's who your father is. And with no other religion do you get that. In that book that I recommended last week that some of you have started reading, you'll eventually find a quote by another great theologian from a generation gone by named J.I. Packer. And J.I. Packer says this. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, 
find out this. If you want to, if you want to know how much a person understands Christianity, find out this. Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God for his father. He says this. He says, if this is not the thought, the thought that I'm God's child and he's my father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Because the fact that we're his children and the fact that he's our father changes everything. first, uh, or rather the first chapter of the gospel of John, John chapter one, verse number 12 says, but to all, every single person throughout human history who in faith has turned their face towards God to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right such beautiful language. <laughs> he gave the right to become the children of God. One more quote from Reeves because it's just too good. If God was not a father, he could not give us the right to become his children. Right? If God wasn't a father, he could not give us the right to become his children. The fact that God's trinity changes everything. And here's what that means for you this Father's Day. It means who your earthly father is or was is not actually the focus of your life today. Whether that's the best it can be or the worst you can imagine, what that means today is you have another father who has moved heaven and earth to birth you into his family and to adopt you and to give you full right and authority as sons. That's the father heart of God, which is only possible because he's Trinity. I close with this story. I want to introduce you to a guy named Harry, only H-A-R-I. We got a picture of him here on the screen uh, with his wife and daughter. Those of you who participate in our global missions offering on a weekly, monthly, or yearly basis, you've been a part of Harry's story. Even though you've never seen Harry before or met Harry before, you've played a small role in Harry's story. Harry is from Nepal. Harry grew up in a very traditional Hindu family. And then he met the God who is unlike any other God. He came to know Jesus and was born again. And when he came to follow Jesus, he ended up receiving a call on his life towards gospel ministry. God called him to be a church planner, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus with his life. And so he came to India to Lagos Theological Seminary. Our partnership with Pastor Abraham Thomas in India, that's their seminary. That's where he went to Bible college and received his training, and then their ministry launched him back to Nepal to plant a church. 
The thing is, as, as Harry went back to Nepal and met his wife and they got married and started their first church and then had a child, there's this grief in Harry's life because when he chose to follow Jesus, his father disowned him. His father so disowned him that his father paid a lot of money and went to a lot of effort to have a full-blown traditional Hindu funeral for Harry. Sending the message to anyone who would see, my son is dead to me. Harry continued to be faithful to grow in his love of God and to proclaim the gospel of God. Ten years after that funeral, his family showed up. His father, his mother, his brother, whom he'd not heard a word from for ten years, showed up because his father decided he wanted to meet his granddaughter. They came and stayed with them for a few days. And just in a handful of days, Harry began to explain to them about the heart of the Father God. And Harry's father gave his life to Jesus and was born again. And then Harry's mother placed her faith in Jesus. And was born again. And then Harry's brother, yes, gave his life to Jesus and was born again. And Harry got to baptize his whole family. That idea of baptism, picturing the the death, the burial, and then the resurrection to new life. He got to resurrect the dad who buried him. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does the birth of a child lead to the new birth of a grandfather? How does a funeral turn into a resurrection? Here's how. Harry's father had an encounter with the heavenly father and it changed everything that's the same father who is pursuing you today and if you've received your status of sonship this morning then I believe there's nothing greater in the universe worth celebrating than that I believe it changes everything. It changes how we live our life, the way that we talk, the places we go, the way we spend our money, the way we raise our children. It changes everything. And it means on this Father's Day, if you don't know for sure that you've received that, He's chasing after you in this very moment. And welcoming you into a whole new life. A whole new status. 
a whole new experience. That is the Father heart of God. And it wouldn't be possible if he was not Trinity. So no, the doctrine of the Trinity is not irrelevant, dry, boring, theological. It changes everything for you and for me.